Welcome to Healing and Horsemanship, a podcast exploring the many healing paths we walk with horses. I'm your host, Shannon Ray Riley of Wild Willing Therapeutics and Training. This show is supported by The Herd. The Herd offers monthly bonuses for members, including access to a growing content library on all things health, wellness, and horses. For more on membership, visit wildwhaling.com slash podcast. Thank you for joining me on this wild ride. And now, on to the show. everybody. Thanks for tuning in with me to episode number nine of Healing and Horsemanship. In today's episode, I'm sharing an interview I had with Maureen Rogers of Equine Craniosacral Workshops. Maureen is a pioneer and leading expert in the field of equine craniosacral therapy. She is the founder of Equine Craniosacral Workshops, an international education program that offers the most extensive program of study. She founded Equine Craniosacral Workshops in 1999 and has over 20 years of teaching experience. In this episode, we talk about the severe whiplash injury that led Maureen to craniosacral as living in pain was not an option for her, how Maureen got back into the horse world, and her experience with the very special foal named Willie who inspired her to apply craniosacral therapy to horses why craniosacral is especially vital for horses as they contend regularly with pressure on their head, neck, and in the sensitive structure of their mouth from bridles, bits, nosebands, halters, and dentistry that has profound ramifications for their whole body. How the tack and equipment we use is second to the hands that use it, but still has the potential to greatly or negatively influence our horse's physical well-being. The common problems that horses being worked in all disciplines of equitation run into, and the compensations that develop due to certain movement patterns. How all bodywork is a conversation, not simply a fix-it strategy. Maureen studies in shamanism and indigenous healing arts, which balance her knowledge of science and ultimately inform her cranial work. The belief that earning the horse's trust is at the center of it all. Why we need more good horse handlers in the world. Myths about horse confirmation that are rampant in the horse industry and many issues, lamenesses, and patterns of disharmony that can be relieved or addressed by craniosacral that include head shaking, navicular, spookiness, chronic pain, headaches, back pain, cinchiness, head shyness, TMJ issues, and more. The bonus for this episode is available to members of The Herd, which is an article of one of my favorite go-to bodywork applications that I use in all of my work with horses. The pull range of motion exercise is something I do with absolutely every horse, from the rehabilitation cases to seasoned advanced horses. You may have been taught to do a lateral bend when you're getting in the saddle to, quote, check the brakes. Or perhaps you learned how to do a lateral bend as an emergency stop. If you aren't able to laterally bend your horse, 
That's a red flag, not only for their mind being disengaged, but that there's muscle tension preventing their full engagement and comfortability. The problem is, the way I see many people out there doing lateral bends, and in fact the way I was taught to do it through natural horsemanship, is not a true lateral bend of the pole, which we want our horse to be able to do for the integrity of their head and neck. I'll get into more of that down the road. But what I notice is that a lot of horses can't actually bend at the pole. Instead, they're turning with the middle of their neck because there's so much inflammation, swelling, or discomfort at their pole joint from perhaps the tack that we use regularly on them or any heavy-handedness that we have used with them. I could talk for much too long about pole range of motion, but for now, if you aren't already a herd member, you can sign up to learn more about this bodywork exercise. But coming full circle, a really big takeaway from this episode is that there are amazing therapies available at our fingertips, craniosacral being a very profound one. I'm really eager to learn more about cranio and my continuing education as a body worker. And for you listening out there, even if you don't want to learn cranio yourself, I hope you seek out a practitioner to experience it for you or for your horses. Experience for yourself how the body responds when it is truly, deeply listened to. Everything that Maureen said really just brought this home for me. If we are really deeply listening to the body, it tells us what it needs, and we start to see things more clearly. When the body is deeply listened to, I believe that's when miracles happen. So now, grab a cup of tea or iced tea and enjoy my interview with Maureen. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Maureen. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. A true pleasure to be here. My first question for you is something that I'm sure you get often. What exactly is equine craniosacral therapy and what are some of the benefits for horses? So I'm going to give you an abbreviated version because it's much more in depth, but in a short format, what I tell people and have said to people to keep it short, simple, so horses can get the help they need um, because cranial is a very complex therapy. But in its short form, it's it's a therapy, hence the name cranial, head, sacrum, spine, base of the spine, the sacrum. And its specific focus is on the cranial bones, the connection of the vertebral system, spinal cord, down to the sacrum. But we're not limited there in our treatment, and it really is about focusing on bringing balance through the musculoskeletal structure, including the head with the body. So that's a simplified version of it. And it's one of the only therapies that addresses the head with the whole body, which is vitally important for horses, especially so. Humans, yes, but horses even more so. And your other part of that question was? What are some of the benefits for horses? What's amazing, I'm going to add a little to this before we get involved in that whole part of it. So one of the things that we want to think about for the horse specifically, so all my training and background was from the human world first. And um, I don't know if you need a little bit of background story. I would like one so you can see the trail and the importance of it. Uh, is I actually got into cranial sacral because I suffered a snowboarding injury and ended up receiving a severe whiplash in that injury my whole active life was gone within one moment of me having some fun on the ski hill. 
So after living pain for a year, a friend said, you want to go try cranial sacral. And I've had plenty of other head injuries in my days of being an active equestrian, rock climber, skier, right? Snowboarder, uh, all the other various sports I was involved with and just childhood alone. And so then I, um, because my whole active lifestyle was taken away so promptly because of that injury, like lifting things was so difficult, holding my head up, riding a mountain bike for 10 minutes was difficult because of how great the damage was. Uh, and living in pain was no option. Somebody, a friend at the time as a massage therapist said, go try cranial sacral for yourself. And I was like, I don't know, what the hell is that? So I went after, because I was like, there's no way the living in pain was not an option anymore. So then I went, seeked it out. And within two sessions, I had my own amazing experience going, wow, I had my active life back. So I then went off to equine, I went to human massage therapy school um, because I was very curious about what happened in the school, the Utah College of Massage Therapy, one of the top programs in the U.S. at the time. So off I went traipsing to school, even though I was resistant a little bit because I loved my wild lifestyle I had before being a ski bum. Um, but I was too intrigued by what happened for myself. So that's what drove me to go pursue this new career because I already had a university degree um, behind me. So I went to school and all at the same time when I was at school, I got back into riding horses and um, I got my foundational human cranial sacral training in my basic foundation of the massage therapy school. And then later on went to specifically uh, more advanced studies through different organizations, one largely the Milne Institute out of California. And all at the same time, I was getting involved with the ridden part of my life again, riding horses. And I was like, oh, great. Now I'm going to go buy my own horse. Yeah. So it led all into my next part of the equine cranial. So um, mm -hmm. I was at school, finished my schooling got back into riding and went to go buy my first adult horse. And it was a foal and mm -hmm. um, a friend, a colleague at the Utah college of massage therapy was there and she invited me up to her sister's ranch and we'd go up there. And yeah. So then they offered me this foal. Willie was his name and Willie had, had developed a, a problem in his leg because he didn't get enough colostrum at birth and his hawk was inflamed and, he ended up walking all wonky. And I just naturally and instinctively was like, well, what can I do? They're treating the infection, but he's walking unbalanced. I'm just going to do cranial sacral on him. It was just natural. There was no books. There was no written material I followed. It was literally, let me think through what I know, because I've already been through my continued advanced studies with my teachers in the human world. Willie needed something, and it was just as natural as breathing air for me. There was no question. It was just like, okay, do this. Okay, do that. So Willie started improving, and then word got out on the street that I was doing this cranial sacral with horses. And I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just really winging it because it was just natural. Like, I tried different handholds on the head. And this is 1997, 98. So again, there was no guiding books. There was no videos to watch on YouTube. It was me organically just going with what was natural from what I learned from humans. And I have a solid 
proper education in human therapies. I was a licensed massage therapist and since let my license go, but I have thousands and thousands of hours in different therapies to have the education. I just didn't know horses yet and their anatomy fully, but it was working. So somebody ran back to the school where I went to school and was assistant teaching. And they're like, she's doing cranial work on horses. And I was like, oh, just uh, like, I was like, put on this. I was like, I, I don't know if I really know what I'm doing, but I was getting results. So a colleague, I just kept playing with it. And people started finding me and booking in with me. I worked with an alternative vet in Park City, Utah, and she was referring clients to me. And I was just like, kind of putting it together all at this time as I was doing it. And then a colleague, the same colleague where I went up to her sister's ranch said, you love horses, you love cranial sacral, do something with it. So that's when I established my program, Equine Cranial Sacral Workshops. Taught my first workshop in 1999 in a small little corner area in somebody's stalls in Salt Lake City. Uh, Sandy, Utah, actually. And then that was it. That's all I needed was that moment. So then I evolved everything over to the horses since 1999. And part of that lead up story is important because in my years of experience of treating humans and getting back into horses, it made my big aha moment to realize how vital cranial sacral is for horses and necessary because Humans had head injuries. Like I've treated humans with metal plates in their heads, reconstructed craniums, chunks of their head missing from surgeries, post because they've had backup cerebral spinal fluid, restructured TMJs in all these years because I still treat the odd human. But the difference between us and hum- us and horses, humans and horses, is that horses have pressure regularly on their head. We don't contend with that. So it only spoke, and it was so in my face, of how important the need was to get this therapy established for horses and their well-being in the horse world even more. Because there's only two parts of pressure of the horse. There's the back and the head. So those pressures are very unnatural, and they contribute to certain problems that we see as diagnosed conditions in horses, but it's not thought about. So as far as the benefits go, it's huge because those pressures from nosebands, bit pressure, dentistry work that's being done, um, a pullback injury, they're going to have ramifications for different conditions we're seeing in our horses. So benefits, head shaking, big one. TMJ issues in horses, big one. Yeah, Sacrolumbar issues hind end issues, collected work issues, transition issues, yeah? I mean, you could go down to behavioral issues, huge for behavioral issues, spookiness, totally treatable, solvable, yeah? Head shaking the same. And there was a video I made, Hope for Head Shakers, treating the first horse in my career in 2000 out of Arizona successfully, very severe head shaker, which paved and opened the door, Hector, for the other horses and for me to see the component that cranial damage has for those horses that head shake and suffer from head shaking. So um, other issues, um, gosh, wobblers, It's it can help with, it can help with any stifle hawk issue. It's just really how we view our horses and how can we see 
what that condition is doing in a compensation. But your big guns are conditions that most of the times get deemed untreatable. Uh, kissing spine, another great one, cranial spore. So it's just our perception and what can be done for them. But any pressure, a lot of these behavioral issues, head shaking, TMJ issues, dentistry, wearing patterns all come down to cranial damage a lot of times combined with muscle tension and easily treatable. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because coming from especially like the American Mustang world and working with wild horses, even when horses haven't done any real advanced training, they're just Mm -hmm. in the phase of wearing a halter. I've still seen really extensive chronic soreness and damage done to their poles. Yeah. And so my question is how, in terms of the tack and equipment that we use, bridles, halters made of rope, nylon, or those hybrid halters that are becoming popular now, I wonder if you see any as being especially damaging for a horse's pole. And similarly, what kind of tack would you recommend people use to prevent damage to the horse's pole? Okay, I would say it's not the equipment unless it's ill-fitting, correct? Does that make sense? So I can wear a tank top or I can wear in that tank top, I can have variation. I can wear one too tight, not fitting right, you know, or if you know, it's whatever. Or if I wore something that's not appropriate or um, a helmet, riding helmet, you know, a different variation. So if that's not fitting right, it's going to put pressures on your head in different ways. Right. So it's kind of like when people argue about the bit is the problem. Yeah, some bits are definitely a problem, but is it, it's the hands on the bit. Right. So the gear on the horse is not the problem. However, to me, it's what are we using that gear for? Yeah. Is it can it be improved upon like a lot of the natural horsemanship rope halters? Yeah. As somebody who used to rock climb, I know that rope is designed to save my life when I fall off the face of a cliff, you know, 200 meters up when I used to rock climb or on your boat, it's designed to keep your line with your sail without breaking. So you got, it's just thinking about what are those ramifications, thicker versus broader. So my brain, that's how it thinks organically. So if I'm because was to design a bridle or a halter, I'm going to go wider at the pole than more narrow because the more narrow, the more damage that's going to be the byproduct, if that makes sense. So um, if you're going to get a natural horsemanship, you know, kind of natural made rope halter, the ones that have more narrow rope that's being used, more dangerous damaging. So if you go like the broader style, now they're making some of the halters with a nice little wider version. It like eggs out kind of at the pole. So to me, that's given a little more protection. It's a broader surface. So if there is an injury, it's going to have more, it's going to be better in the injury if that even sounds correct. Does that make sense? Versus if it's more narrow, if I have a thin wire I'm tying around a tree and I tie it really tight, it's going to do more damage in a certain way. It's going to cut, it could cut through the tree. You know, if I really, versus if it's broader, it's going to have more, what's it, surface space is the word I'm looking for, that it can take with the impact. So um, there's there's some gear I like out there, but a lot of it needs to be rethought. 
And it's always, what are we using it for? Um, I've treated horses with all of the different gear on who've damaged themselves. It's just, I think it's more about consciousness of humans and what we're doing at the time. And, you know, if we have a spooky horse and we have a, a thin nylon rope around their head as our halter, the natural horsemanship type, and that horse suddenly steps on its lead rope and panicked, you know, you have one. So is it the gear or is it just situations? And if we had to choose the gear, which one are we going to choose? Does that make sense when it comes Absolutely. to equipment? Yeah. 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 And then you've also worked with horses of all disciplines, like Grand mm -hmm. Prix jumpers, Olympic athletes, race horses, barrel racers, and companion horses, of course. Are there any common patterns of tension or injuries that you see in particular disciplines or yes. perhaps are there common issues that you find all across the board? There's both. The, every breed, every discipline has its own specifics of movement. So what a dressage horse does versus a race horse does versus a cutting horse, reining horse, trotter. Yeah, they're just like human athletes. So whether I had a ski racing person on my table, Olympic level skier, yeah, or if I had Michael Phelps I was treating, or, you know, what they do, or an equestrian, and they come in with more cranial damage than most normal people, um, oddly and funnily enough, um, because horse people just, you know, or unless they're a rugby player from England or New Zealand, uh, or a football player from America, but it's uh, these you got to think about the action the animal's being asked to do because they will have patterns. So what a cutting horse does in its biomechanics, different than the dressage horse, right? Versus the galloping racehorse and the event horse. So it, it just, you got to just look across the board to see that. And that's always in the back of my mind. And I educate my students to think that way because that's important so you can problem solve the compensation pattern and how that training may be have an overlay on that or what is being asked and as far as your other question which is about the larger pattern there is a larger pattern that exists in all horses and that's the how the horse overloads and puts their weight on the forehand so this has been taught to us, and even myself as a young equestrian, they teach you in your 4-H clubs, they teach you in your pony clubs, they teach still this in all the equine study programs internationally in universities, uh, all the governing bodies who talk about confirmation of the horse, that 60% of the weight is on the front end of the horse, and that's become true. That doesn't mean it's correct. And I actually created a DVD, a produced one in 2010-11 called Confirmation versus Posture, Men's Unveiled, to challenge this belief because over the years of me treating horses since 1999 and being a human body worker where I'm trained to identify your compensations, you come to me, you have back pain, and I see your shoulders also involved and you can't turn your head a certain way and you're just saying it's your back pain, my job then was to watch you and your mechanics and see how you're sitting, moving, eating, whatever you were doing to be able to go, oh, I got it, to understand that. So it's the same with me over time as I was treating horses and I was going, these aren't 
this is not what we were trained to think. Yeah? That this 60% of the weight, and then you hear all these falsities, it's like the head and neck are heavier than the hind end. You know, this is what horses become. And what I was seeing through all the years of me treating horses is that was not the case. They were changing. And they were getting balance. And that weight that was excessively more on the forehand now was going on their hind end. And that's where it has to be because that's their push of power. And then we see this big, crazy circumstance now in training. And it's get your horse on the hind, get your horse on the hind, you know. And it's like, this is the circle that exists to present day. And you hear this all around the world. And I love interviewing people and saying, well, how many times are you in your lesson? And you hear, get your horse on the hind. That's every lesson five times a week, you know, 365 days a year for how many years? And everyone then builds their tricks and whatever around it to try to get the horse on the hind when the horse is out of its intelligence because it's a four-legged animal, not a two-legged animal like us. We go from, I've injured my right leg. I'm going to overweight load on my left, right? A horse goes, I injured my hind end. Sooner or later, I got to put my weight on my front because my hind end is not working. I've injured my right hind. I've overloaded and compensated with my left hind. That's not working now. Or maybe they injured their other hind. So then they're like, what do I got? Oh, I got two more legs. I'm going to put more weight on the front. So this is what you see as a large common pattern, 98% of horses that exist in this is what sets up all horses for more four-leg problems. And I've said this for years since when I produced the DVD and even before that I was teaching this because we have to challenge how we perceive that because it's a large pattern in our present-day horses. And because of this, the horses are breaking down much more on the front legs, tendons, navicular issues, mystery lamenesses, yeah? And it's only largely due to the horse not being able to use its hind end correctly due to compensation. So that was a big birthing moment. of, And that was all because I'm properly professionally trained in the human world to put those pieces together and see how that's correlating. So what's beautiful to see and what a lot of people still don't realize is how amazing horses can get balance in their body over time. And come back to that same or similar place where they were at foals. Because if you watch foals, and I show this in my DVD, their front legs are not behind the shoulder. Their front legs are right below the shoulder. And then they deem these as breeding issues in those measurements. And those are actually postural measurements. They're not breeding issue measurements. So they associate a lot of this stuff with breeding uh, that people believe and ingest still. And they teach in universities internationally. And all these equine programs, 4-H clubs, when it's not, it's just a horse out of balance. And we don't have horses in balance to teach us about balance. We have horses out of balance teaching us about balance. And that was one of my pieces I brought to the industry is and said that again in my DVD, that was a big statement for me to make because it was just these aha moments that I was have, having as I was doing my work. And I'm like, wow, look at this, you know, flying around the world. And I'd see at the Royal Muse in Buckingham Palace on my private tour there is that, oh, okay, there's the horse painting from the 16th, 17th century. And the horse's front legs were where? Behind the shoulder. In the Middle East, on my way to South Africa to teach in, uh, Abu, no, where was I? Qatar, again, painting on the wall. 
11th century, front legs behind the shoulder. So it was like, there it is, war and work. They, we were used for trans, they were used for transportation. So we only have, and now we have the sport horse. You may have the Amish who still use them for carriage work or somebody in, you know, New York City. But we always have had horses out of balance teaching us. So then you get these confirmational charts all around and it's a breeding issue. It has nothing to do with breeding. It has to do with all these things, long back, sickle hawk, crew pie, over at the knee. Yeah, that all has to do with a horse out of balance. It's all just postural. So there's your common thread that you're asked about, like between every one of them. So you can give me a racehorse. And I, again, train my students in this. Okay, you have to remember your larger pattern. They're all going to have it. Be excited when they don't. That's so rare. In 20 plus years of me doing this, I think I saw two that didn't have this issue. And the 2% I leave room for are the possible wild horses that are pretty healthy. Mm. And then the baby foals who still come out healthy. But the whole industry has to change their thinking and perception of this for it to evolve and horse health to evolve. So because it's there and it can change and you'd see half their issues go away. Yeah. I remember being taught that in my um, college equine science class, how <laughs> 60, 70% of the weight yeah. is on the forelimb. Yeah. Yeah. That's and they incredible. say it's because the head and neck weighs more than the ass end. Well, somebody who dissects horses' heads and necks and hind ends specifically, and when I've picked up a cadaver head and neck, it's very different than the ass end of the horse to lift up because then I need a wench to do it, right? So, and that's, yeah, okay, it's a cadaver, you know, it's going to be rigor mortis and heavier, but there's still, you know, it's it's letting me know that that's definitely heavier on the behind end than it is on the head and neck end. So it has nothing to do with that. It's the intelligence of the animal because the body's always seeking out balance. That's the intelligence of our system, yeah? So even us, you have an injury, you're like, and you're compensating, but you could still function. You're still walking straight. You could still do a straight line. That's because our mechanism in our body and our nervous systems are designed to do that proprioception. Mm-hmm. So we may be on a lot of skew, like our horses and people complaining, my horse won't go straight or they should go straight as the Germans say. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it should, but we have to be realistic for these animals that they're all compensated. It's how everything that's going on with them. So, wow. yeah, that's a big aha moment because it'll solve all the a lot of training issues, ridden work issues. You know, you you won't have to invest this 365 days, five days a week of repetition to get your horse thinking they can't get it. It's their body can't give what it is because it's so out of balance and compensated. But mm-hmm. they're intelligent. What am I going to do? I'm going to overload on my forelegs. My hind end isn't working. That's intelligence. Yeah. That's something as a horse trainer, I feel like I'm really opening my eyes to more every day. And it wasn't how I was taught growing up that behaviors have a physical manifestation, a physical yeah. root, right? It's it's not because they have something wrong in their head where they're spooking at everything. Like you said, yeah. it's something in the tissue that's yeah. in disharmony. So I love that you mentioned how head shaking, spookiness, things that like we commonly would seek out a horse trainer to help us with. It's like seek out an equine craniosacral therapist or body worker. Yeah. And and craniosacral is very 
uh, successful in treating it, but it's also how the therapist is trained. That's important to mention because mm. all cranial training is not equal, like all massage therapy training. And I'm a big advocate for these horses' well-being because there's no licensure in the animal health world. And okay. being somebody who's come from a proper education and had to sit before a board exam for humans, I'm a big advocate um. for proper education in the equestrian world because there's too much fluff without enough proper education backing it. And mm. I will stand up for the horses for them in that position because uh, mm. a lot of times now cranial's getting a negative rap uh, because people say mm. it doesn't work. But that's only because those people are incorrectly trained. Mm. So that's mm. a big one. And when you're doing cranial sacral, it's a very depth in-depth therapy. So people think cranial bone, yeah. But it's mm. much more than that. It's the soft tissue. It's the blood supply. It's the cerebral spinal fluid because the bone is only an aspect of cranial sacral. You know, it's the brain. It's the central nervous system. So as that bone changes, you're changing its relationship to the brain. You're changing. The, it, the relationship's changing. So I, I really have a high regard for the therapy. And a lot of people need to be educated to the depth of what's changing. It's like, you know, kind of doing brain surgery without being a doctor. So mm -hmm. I just will make my public statement about that because I feel it's important because, yeah, these horses need so much more support in that way. And you got to look in your toolbox. What's best for this situation for a therapeutic option? Is it laser? Is it cranial? Is it acupuncture? Is it all mm -hmm. the above? So especially with head shaking, cranial or TMJ specifically in behavioral issues, there's other things you can do, but the specifics with all that damage in the head, cranial sacral by far, one of the better therapies. So what should people look for when they are meeting a craniosacral therapist or some looking for someone for help? What should they make sure they have in terms the, of education? Definitely their education and where they've been educated because um, the horse's cranium is much more complex than the humans. And a lot of these people aren't aware mm -hmm. of that. And as somebody who's been properly trained in human body work and did human cadaver labs, you know, and then mm -hmm. ran off, I was like, oh my God, I want to go see a horse's head. So I was in the middle of Australia and went off and dissected <laughs> my own horse head and was shed in the middle of nowhere. Cause I was like, I got to see what's in there. Cause the books just <laughs> weren't enough. And then in my moments, I'm like, wow, we, you know, what I've learned about cr people's cranial injuries and damage, and like I already gave you the list of variations I've dealt with, like people have had five concussions. You have to be so mindful of how you're treating because mm -hmm. of that depth of neurological change as well as brain change that can happen. So, um, yeah, in realizing through my moments of when I was in that shed and going, wow, this is much more complex. And if you do the wrong thing, you can have the negative result. And there's different styles. There's a lot of like more traditional osteopathic work is more manipulative in cranial. And to me, that's something I wouldn't suggest to do on a horse. So there's so the problem is, is it came up so fast, it became the cool thing. And now everybody's doing it or teaching it. But there, there's very few highly qualifiable schools. And I, don't, I can't see what every other school is doing. I just know you want somebody who's got experience. And especially your, the more complicated the case, you want somebody with more experience for the well-being of the animal, for sure.
Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm imagining people listening to this who are eager to actually learn this approach themselves, hearing about the benefits. So for people who would like to learn, what does the course of study look like for an equine craniosacral student in your program? And also, I think you kind of covered this, but are there any prerequisites or programs that you'd advise them to do before taking up craniosacral work? I'd say go see you and learn how to handle a horse. <laughs> I mean, it, honestly, I, I, we have guidelines and suggestions for people to come to the program. Like, go have some other therapies behind you, but that's not a necessity. Yeah. But I, we do require everyone to come to the program to have horse handling experience because it can be dangerous at times. It's not, you know, everyone thinks like, no, 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 no. Like you're in there like, so peaceful, feeling the energy. Oh, my God. Right. But you have to, I mean, it's like a boxing match sometimes because you're touching injured parts. And if I see any bony change in a horse's head, that tells me it took a hell of a blow to make the damage. I don't take that lightly. And honestly, there's probably, I'd say there's a majority of horses, I'd say out of the majority of horses on the planet. And the amount of cranial damage they, and they all have it. That's what's screwed up. And it's the most underlooked at part. Um, so you got to realize it took a heck of a force to make that damage. So as far as in my program with that curtails, you got to know how to handle a horse because if that horse rears up, you got to know what to do with it. I don't have time to teach that in my class, but I could teach you cranial sacral. But if that horse does something like that or kicks out suddenly because you're going back to the hind end, you weren't aware of, you know, the injury back there, you you know, so you got to know what to do and handle those situations. And I'm a big advocate of safety. So, you know, I don't care if you've had previous cranial training. It doesn't. My program is so unique to itself and how it's structured. So you got to come in with an open mind and previous horse handling experience. You know, whatever you else you come in as a bonus, because I'm going to ask you to leave it at the door because you got to open up your thinking to be able to go down this path that's very uh, unique in itself and how the therapy applies. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that, because I do, <laughs> I think in the healing world, too, I think people who have that training with humans and then they're drawn to horses. Yeah. I've seen many of them get into like deep waters with horses who... Maybe yeah. they're volunteering at a rescue and these horses have a lot of injuries and a lot mm -hmm. of trauma. And as they unwind that, they realize that they don't know how to handle what's coming yeah. up. <laughs> no, no, it's true. I mean, if, if you could say what's one thing I would ask to have in some situations, it's a great horse handler when I'm treating a certain horse, because then I could guarantee you to get a horse some help. If I just have a person, a horse owner, and this is not, I'm so grateful for all my clients who bring their horses to me, but in some situations when the horse is rearing up, I'm really like, I want, I want somebody who knows how to handle that horse. Cause I just move out of the way. And then the horse handler just takes the horse and just lets the horse be at the end the moment. And uh, you got to have the skill set. And sometimes I'll fly somebody in to help me with a certain horse. If it's too dangerous for the horse handler the horse owner to, um, you know, work with, with me so I could be safe because I know you can read what's going down. Holding space for them yeah, too, that's right? that's a huge thing because it's there, you know, when these things go down in the middle of uh, a treatment, like those moments come up, 
And I've had students will say back to me and other people are like, well, they said they didn't want it or the horse was throwing its head too much. I'm like, no, that's just the natural byproduct as the bones changing or you're coming. It's like human psychology with the body. It's body psychology. It's the same horse, human dog, doesn't matter. So um, one of the things is you go to if you've injured your shoulder, Shannon, and I come over to touch it, what are you going to do? You're going to like pull away. You're going to be like, what are you doing a little bit? It's a natural byproduct. Yeah. You have a horse that's been de- beat by somebody that say, and I'm going extreme in the head, they're going to be head shy, just like a dog. Or if they've been ear twitched, you go to grab the ear, they react, right? Mm-hmm. Or they've been whipped and I'm using these more extreme cases, or they've been in a trailer accident and then they're afraid in the trailer. That's natural. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the nervous system's way to go, hold on, wait. And it's, the psychology of the body has a psychology to it. And that's where, when you get to get in those places, you got to know how to approach those, how to touch those. And to me, this is one of my quotes, all body work is a conversation, all body work. It's a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not something you do. And everyone's made it. These things mm-hmm. we do, it's a therapy. We're going to go do osteo, you know? And it's like, well, what happened to the conversation, the listening part of mm-hmm. what's there? And that's a big piece. And that's the difference to me about fixing and healing. Because a lot of the structure out there is it's a, you fix it. Let's fix my horse. Can you fix that problem? And it's much more complicated. And it's much more simple than that at the same time. Because it's not a fix it thing. There's a total different paradigm. I love the body that. always wants to heal. That's a fact. It's always healing. Yeah. You sitting here, I'm sitting here. You know, it does it mean when it's compensated, that's healed correctly. So as it's reorganizing in its new place, right, then it's getting the support and then it needs to heal, but it'll heal and integrate those changes. So it's in a healthier, more awesome state for all the things we like to do and the horse loves to do. Yeah, I think about too the fix it mentality. If you just go in there and like get things done, I mean, you can't possibly force them, like you said, when they're having these huge reactions. But no, oh if, god, no. If you try to, do. they do. They try to all the time. They even state oh. horses to try to get results and then do cranial osteo acupuncture. To me, then you suck as a practitioner. You're not <sighs> listening. You yeah. know. So yeah. you need, it's all about, and that's where my teacher, my human teacher, Hugh Milne, his book was The Heart of Listening. Mm. So that's what I was taught in my human training. So it's, it doesn't matter who you're with, the cat, the dog, the human, you know what I'm saying? The child, the horse. It's okay. What's here? Who's there? And the fixing it comes from like a car. Can you fix my car? You know, but they're not cars. So it's like people's the same. Can you fix my headaches? Well, you can, you know, so it's a, it's a different mindset. A lot of what I do is a different mindset. Mm -hmm. And I tell my students that I said, this is evolution. This is a revolution. And how we want to think because this industry needs to change for the well-being of the horses. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And it is, and it has been, but even the simple things like we just talked about confirmation versus posture, like that alone, you know, and I feel kind of honored that I was a big pioneer in that effort, in all my efforts, and presenting that for the first time in 2011 to the industry. And it oh. needs to get out there more like, okay, we if we, you could see that, you can help a horse to a whole nother level. And one thing I tell my students, if you can't see it, you can't treat it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's like generally a lot of times when they call me out, I'm the last option 
because they've tried everything else and it didn't work and it's a compliment yeah but it's only because i've been have this different way of seeing and then i have a different tool i think that's really key too because that's something that because i've grown up in the horse world what i see as quote-unquote balance right now Mm -hmm. i'm learning that's out of balance so my eye it's like I feel like I'm blind to those little subtleties because I'm so conditioned to think that that's normal, right? So how might students of this really retrain their eye to see these little things and to really listen? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say um, in my prejudiceness, my DVD alone is a good way to start because I take through people through five basic ways I created to assess a horse. And it makes sense because there's a method to the madness. It's not like I'm just randomly like, oh, here, right? It's like I tell my students, I'm rewiring their brains because they come from all different equestrian backgrounds, from osteopathic schools, chiropractic, veterinarians. So the first place I start before they get any cranial sacral is what do they have to do? They have to learn how to assess a horse. They have to learn to see through a new lens because they're all in the same position you're sharing about what you've experienced and how it's tainted us. And it's tainted everybody. So, yeah, every aspect of this industry, it's seeped into so deeply. Yeah. So it's that's where we have to have a new way to see these horses. And that's, to me, what I presented in my DVD. Like, okay, let's first realize that this is not confirmation. If you look at the uh, definition, yeah, and then you look up the definition of posture, confirmation is literally associated with how something has been conformed through breeding. But they've put an equal sign between what they saw because those horses were out of balance. And then they said, no, it's bred that way. It's long-backed. It's sickle-hawked. It's, you know, u-necked. It's short in the neck. It's high in the pasterns, low in the pasterns. Those all can change when the horse reorganizes and it has the option to reorganize. But if you have muscle tension in certain ways and the accident and injury that's forcing the body or is given the body saying, you look body, you have to readjust and compensate to find health and stability and, you know, comfort. So then the body does that. Okay, I'm going to be long backed. This is what feels better. I feel in center to get the job done, or I could still walk and survive, right? The first part is you got to take that into consideration. That's step one to realize, okay, so if, because that's a big fry for most people's brains when I do my lectures. Because I teach equine assessment online on Zoom for groups of people. And it's a five-week thing I do because there's such a need to get it further out into the mainstream Because besides my DVD. But if you don't start there and challenge your belief of what we've all been brainwashed in some way to think, right? And see the horse through the certain lens, we can never go further. Because true confirmation, if you talk about breeding, is about the bone. It's about the color of the horse. Those are things I can't change. That bone length, uh, you know, or the shape of the cranium of an Arab versus a Lusitano. You know, I'm not going to change that. I could change the position of bone can change from what I do, but I'm never going to make a dish, maybe when I'm 90, (laughs) you know, or make a Shetland pony into a shire. But those bone densities and the length of that is all unique to those animals. That's not going to change. What can change is the organization how that horse stands in itself. So if my muscles released, I could reorganize my hind leg differently. 
I could reorganize my back, my front legs. Then I could put weight on my back. I can have more proper head to neck angle. I can move my head differently. Right? I won't be so uh, top line, you know, this top line syndrome, biggest bollocks in the industry. It's happening. Yes, but it's not a syndrome. It's just a, another compensation pattern. And then you add a little power tool work and shazam, you got the perfect storm for top line syndrome. Now it's wild. What does it look like when you're working with a client's horse? Are you essentially like unwinding these things and it maybe unfurls over one or a couple sessions, but are you also helping them to see what caused these things like their handling or their riding or whatever it oh, is? Yeah, all, all the above. I'm, I'm one, I have a reputation for not holding back <laughs> because I, one of my biggest things I believe in, and that's so important to me is education. Like I'm a big advocate and also for empowering horse people. Yeah. Because all my clients for all the years I've been doing this, they've been down the road, like, put your horse down. We don't have an answer. Or, God, I've had people cried on the phone. You're my last hope. And it's truly to me explaining part of the process is explaining to them what they are seeing, right, and what their horse has experienced. And then it always translates over to them. And they're like, yeah, that makes so much sense in my ridden work. Yeah. And we always talk about all the aspects because afterwards I'm like, look, you can't ride your horse like so. You have to feel your horse and post you are going to do ABC. So I have a whole program I guide people through because uh, it's not about me with my being top in the industry, flying in like, hey, I'm here. You know, it's literally I'm there and I commit myself and I'm there for the horse. I'm hired by the horse. That's I don't care what your name is, your status. The horse is why I'm there. And I will always do best by that animal because that's my only focus. So I will take you through and I want you to participate. And even Olympic level client I worked with in Team GB, eventing team, who uh, I worked with her horse. Um, I commend Sharon because she would always come in the stall with me. What would you find? She wanted to be educated. And then I always give tools from my DVD what you can do to help your own horse. Cause I want you to have those tools. Yeah. And I just put a post up on Instagram showing the before and after from somebody who worked with those tools on her horse just the other day. And that's, I should, the pictures in there, I didn't touch the horse. I just gave her the direction, showed her the basics of it. I now I've incorporated that more in the first session so they can have the experience to see how impactful they could be on their own horse's life. That's huge because I wasn't available and I want them to have that because they can. And like Sharon, a couple of, I don't know, maybe six months ago, I, I said something to her in a thing on Facebook or Instagram because she was, she was posting something and she goes, yeah, I still use what you showed me. And that's awesome because that's what it's about. It's about people, if they only knew what's possible and they do these few little things, they can maintain their horse's muscular skeletal health and it's mental health and it's, you know, emotional health just when its body's better. Because a lot of these animals, a lot of their things come from the horses or a dog or a human is my body's not right. But especially the horse, because then we're asking for things in ridden work. And, you know, it's when their body in their capacity is 200 percent available like you, you know, you're like, I could do this. And but see, the difference between us and them is we have a mental component we can add to that game. See, there's that distinct difference where they're not thinking, Johnny, I'm going to get up. I could do this. I could do this, you know, 
And some people would like to humor about that, but it's effective. If their body's not there, you see it all the time having an effect on them. And you also see that their body, when it's more balanced, that having an effect on them. And they're just like, okay, I'm more calm in myself. I'm comfortable in myself. So, yeah, just having those tools of assessing. And generally, the first session in any treatment with cranial sacral with myself, that's just the first step in breaking down the ice. It's the tip of the iceberg, right? So I tell most people, let's plan five treatments. It doesn't mean we need them all. Head shaking, for sure, you need five. TMJ, um, you definitely need five. So I just assess every horse in its own little moment. And then some people continue to follow up with cranial, whether that's once a month, whether, you know, if it's a high active sport horse, they use it as a maintenance thing as well to keep the horse in balance for its competitive life. So it's all different, but I will always give you tools so that you can keep your horse in any situation. Like the Olympic level rider from Team GB, she was at a four-star event in Germany, panicked. Oh my God, he's getting tight. He's getting tight. This is 2010 or 11. And I said, Sharon, you know what to do. And she did. She came in first place because she had the tools to be able to help her horse. But I suggest go on Instagram later, see the story from today. And I, it's literally, this is my big new push because I want people to realize this. Like you can do this and it's basic 101 simple stuff. It's not, and the tools are totally designed, simple, non-complicated because I want to make them idiot proof so no one could injure their horse. And it's just basic massage stuff, but you have to know how to use your massage tools and also this larger pattern that exists to be effective. So it's yeah, and the sessions normally with me, the first session's two hours easy. By the time I'm taking you through assessing your horse, feel the jaw, feel the ribs, feel see, watch how your horse can't turn, does turn. And they'll be like, God, I love when they're like, That explains my ridden issue. And it's like, Yeah, because most riding issues are compensation body compensation issues, ninety nine percent. You know, let's throw in some bad tack, ill fitting saddle or, you know, bit that's horrible or bridle that's not fitting right or putting pressure on your nose band. You know what I'm saying? But it's so more simple than it is complex. I've just had a different view coming into it all. I like how it really sounds like empowerment of the individual horse and human is really at the heart of your work. 200%. (laughs) Because that's what I, it's always been the driving force. I just, you know, with everything, the universe was like, Maureen, you will bring cranial sacral to horses, you know, like I didn't go to this. What is it? What did they call it when you were in school? The career counselor? What was it? Yeah. The career yeah. counselor. And you're like, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And he's like, I don't know. Like just maybe thinking about money. I didn't go in there and be like, I want you to be a ski bum, you know, or I, you know, maybe I said, I don't even remember what I said, but I wasn't like, I'm going to be a cranial sacral therapist for horses. You know, it's like, it didn't even exist. It wasn't even my aura. I mean, maybe it was in my aura, but I wasn't conscious of it. But, you know, it was like, to me, if they're, you know, when they say you're chosen to do something, you know, I, I can't make it up. Like I was, I really was in denial for like, it's like, I was like, I want my active ski bum life back. Cause I graduated university, had a university degree. And I was like, I'm just going to go ski, work in a restaurant. <laughs> And the universe was like, Maureen, no, you're going to have a serious injury and we're going to have you, you get co- get some cranial sacral. Your life is going to drastically change. You're going to take this out to the world. Yeah, because there was nothing that existed. Zero. 
And now I could be so proud of what I've created for Horses and Dogs, the top international program, mm -hmm. most toply published individual in the industry on equine cranial sacral articles. So it's a labor of love. And it's all seeing, like I say, the damn board when I don't see a change in and then I'll quit. But I don't. I'm always like, whoa, you know, it's amazing because you see them get well. And that's what is amazing and awesome and brings me the greatest joy. And I, when I see that horse that people say, oh, my horse is kissing spine or is lame or he's a head shaker or whatever, I don't see that horse. I see the amazing horse. Beautiful. Well, it sounds like just other common threads in everyone's story that you don't always get to choose your path or maybe you set out thinking you're going to go west and then you wind yeah. up winding around and going east and oh. look at you now you're in the netherlands there i am this country <laughs> but i guess it's better than you know the middle east it's more sandy drier. yeah a lot more sand yeah. <laughs> so you also study shamanism and indigenous healing arts so can you share yes. a little bit about what these modalities are and how they inform your work uh, yeah, one of my teachers, so Hugh Milne, a Scott, third generation Scottish osteopath, who was my main primary, um, advanced human cranial sacral therapist. Um, Hugh opened us up to that, even though I was always into those kind of, uh, thinkings like the, you know, growing up on the East Coast and Native America and all that. Um, and I did go to sweat lodges before. Um, and pipe ceremonies in different circles. But Hugh uh, brought in shamanism in his work, and he also brought in Taoist thinking a lot into his cranial work. So he was a very different person in the the human cranial sacral therapy world because you had Upledger, and they're more medical-based. John Upledger was an MD, and it was very literal. And Milne came in amongst all these different ones, Michael Shea, John Barnes, whatever name you're going to put in the industry all around that same time. And Milne came in with a different approach because he was all about healing. That's where he came from in his osteopathic work and his family and in his cultivation of who he was. So that already dropped into my cranial work. And one of the teachers who used to work with Hugh, Marty Spiegelman, who is up where you are in Sebastopol, um, Marty used to teach for Hugh. And what I love about Marty is she was traveling all around the world, working with all these shamans in Russia and Peru and Africa. And she started her own shamanic program. Um, and Marty is, she was amazing. And I just was so drawn to it because it complements and complemented, uh, how horses are their nature, you know? And, um, it it's just so part it's a thing that i've identified with naturally anyways because i'm an outdoor person you know it's like you'd be one with nature right so so it was all just natural but then i got this opportunity to grow my uh, practice and how i was learning and it was through the shamanic training with marty spiegelman up in sebastopol um and it, it's fascinating because a lot of people are like oh shamanism but it's amazing because marty her degree, she's from Harvard and Yale. So she's, you know, Ivy League school. And then she went on this. She was also a graphic designer. She did the cover of Milne's books, but she also dabbled in this energetic world. And, you know, we deal with energy every day, but we forget about that. So like when I'm teaching students, I'm like, look, everything's made up of energy. 
So however you want to vibe into that or not, or freak out about it, but everyone, you know, it's like you ride a horse. They talk about the energy of the horse, you know, you're in the supermarket line, you know, you're like, which lane should I go in the fast one? But then you're like picking up vibes, somebody. So you move. So you're picking up on the energy or do you go to horse barn? You know, it's the same thing. You're like, what's the vibe here? Or your friend's house. You're like, oh, Betty's house is better than Bob's. You know, you're picking up the vibe. So we live in this energetic world that everyone makes it like this <gasps> foo-fooey kind of thing, but it's an everyday experience, right? So what I love about shamanism, and they say the opposite side of the coin of shamanism is science. In science, they talk about physics. Well, in shamanism, it's all about the makeup of energy. In seventh grade science, we learned about protons, electrons, and neutrons, right? That was, and then it became physical matter. So what I love about shamanism is it works so beautifully. It's just another part of the strand of the cranial. It just weaves in there so beautifully so. And that quote floating around, I forget the woman who wrote this, but she wrote that horses are the original shamans. Yeah. I don't know who, I don't know that. Was that Dao of Equus? No. Uh, Linda Kohanov. I don't think so. Yeah, I'll find it and I'll include it in the show notes though for everyone here. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing because that aspect of what, you know, they bring to humans, I mean, that relationship. And what I find fascinating is that the, cranial sacral system of the horse and what i mean by that cranial sacral system is the sacrum the attachment of the sleeve around the spinal cord which is called the dura so you have the spinal cord and then you have a sleeve around it like if it, i had a shirt on around my arm and then you have the cranial bones and that system and the attachment is identical horse to human so the sacrum of the horse and i, I remember my first moment seeing this and i was blown away i was like huh Excuse me, the sacrum of the human is five vertebrae. The sacrum of the horse is five vertebrae. The dura, the sleeve around the spinal cord, connects that sacral segment too, just like in the human. And then the other attachments are the same. And the uh, C1, C2, C3, fine ligamentous, and then at the foramen magnum of occiput. But the sacrum in itself was like, I was like, so that core has always stood out to me. Because dog sacrums are three, you know, this dura is a little different in attachment. Cats, you know, we probably have the same as maybe, I'd have to look up chimps, but horses, definitely. There's some more similarities there than we're all really able to see. Okay. Yeah. Like I ever, sometimes I'm like, and you know, my deeper thoughts is like, okay, the centaur, half human, half horse, you know, Sagittarians. And so, the wounded healers too. Yeah. Chiron. Wow. I'm curious because I always think about craniosacral as like a more subtle bodywork technique. Like mm -hmm. if it's at the other end of the spectrum of like deep tissue or like maybe even myofascial release. But mm -hmm. how would you characterize like what does it feel like to do equine craniosacral work and how much listening are you doing with your fingertips? I'll say with any bodywork, you ought to listen. First, I'll make that dis yeah. disclosure, if that's the word, um, because truly that's what body work is. They're different tools for different things. What I love about cranial and always have, and I've received all the therapies you've listed. I've received a lot of different therapies on myself. I've practiced a lot of different therapies on humans because I was educated in a vast number of different therapies. That's part of your training 
whether it was his sports massage therapy, Russian sports massage therapy, acupressure, shiatsu, Feldenkrais. And a lot of people aren't aware of the depth of my education and knowledge, touch for health, kinesiology. So that was just all of my background as part of my training as a therapist. But my specific was cranial sacral, uh, deep tissue. I've been rolfed, you know. Uh, by Rolfers from Ida Rolf, not just structural integrative people. So from the source, you know, her group of students. So um, in that, what I love about cranial and every therapy has its place. But cranial specifically, what I the few things I loved about it is its light touch. There was no forcing involved with who the person I went to receive cranial work with, right? Um, but in that, because there are some cranial sacral therapy programs that it's you are taught to manipulate the bone that's more traditionally out of osteopathy just to be clear because there are the core link of is all the same no matter what cranial program you've gone to but how they approach cranial cycles different there's biodynamic blah 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 just to be clear um so then the other thing about that is the gentleness of cranial sacral it allows the body to feel listened to if it's done that way. You know what I'm saying? If it's not a manipulative style. And I love it because of its depth. You know, there's a, we have an intelligent system in our bodies and that's the part of us that heals. You cut your finger, you know, you forget about that cut until like one day, you know, maybe two years later, you're like, oh God, look at that little scar. I remember, you know, but it's all healed. You're not complaining about it, right? Or you had open heart surgery, you know, you're still running around 20 years later after your open heart. Look at how amazing your body healed. Or you got the, a virus or a bacteria. And you're like, okay, I'm feeling better. That's our body doing what it does. And that's, to me, what we're accessing when we do cranial. You know, there's this intelligence in the system, and we're connecting with that. So I love it because of its depth. And I've worked with a lot of different therapies. And they all, like I say, have their place. But because with cranial specifically, you're working on the bones, you're working on the core of the nervous system so directly and intimately. So that's where it's great. I've seen it. Like I've treated horses that were totally tying up yeah, with uh, the uh, sugar issues. What's it called? Myo. My brain is having a moment here. Myo, whatever it's called. You know what I'm saying? The polysaccharide issue. Yeah. And I've treated horses that were totally muscle spasm in that tying up phase, put my hand on their sacrum, and in five to ten minutes, they just came out of it. Yeah, and that's where people don't realize what is possible with cranial at that level. And it's huge um, because the nervous system is amazing and it wants to heal and it's always healing. And it's when you access that and see that like pain, like I've had a horse. This was at the Monty Roberts place in England, 2007, maybe it was. And they had a horse that foundered. It was like literally the horse was coming through the front hooves almost. And I told the owners of the place, I said, I would really like to use this horse because I know we can help them. And that was because you can manage the pain because you're accessing this core. And um, the only way to get that horse to help for its front feet was to get the horse on its hind end. A year later, they said, oh, they were cantering it around. Yeah. And it's only because where that came from, from my depth of the understanding understanding what cranial can do with just the physical body, but also the nervous system was after I graduated massage therapy school, I was teaching at the school. I was assisting teaching every human cranial sacral class I could. 
and they were doing a research project up at the University of Utah in the burn unit. And they said, they asked me, would I be, and a lot of people don't know the story, um, would I care to be part of that research? And I said, sure. Can I choose my own therapy? Yep. I chose cranial sacral. So I went to this burn unit and I was treating burn victims with cranial sacral. I'm talking all different people, different burns from baby infants, like literally a couple months old to grannies who've been burned to Eddie, whatever, whoever was in there at the time. And one of the first people I treated was a guy who was uh, in a sleeping bag fire. He had 38% burns on his leg from a sleeping bag fire. And he was on a high morphine drip and he still had pain. And I went in there and I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do cranial on him. And then I did one handhold and he goes, oh my God, oh my God, I can't feel my legs. And I'm like, panic moment holy shit, I fucked this up, beep, whatever we have to beep out or not from this. But it's the fact of, I thought, oh my God, contraindication, did I not get something right? Like, right? So I was like, and he goes, no, for the first time, I have no pain in my legs. So that told me what's possible with cranial that a lot of these people running around, and this is part of the problem with people just running around, not realizing how big of an ammunition they're carrying and when they're practicing this therapy. Yeah. And that's why I'm big anti-advocate, like these people who are teaching cranial sacral now online, you know, that's more dangerous than anything. And it's rampant now. And it's a shame because it's a disservice for the horses. So on some level, these people are like just going out and doing this. But what that moment taught me was huge. Like This is what you play with when you're connecting to that central core, that nervous system on such a deep level. And that guy to hear that he was out of pain, he's like, I can't feel my leg. I mean, whatever happened to him, I don't know. But that was a huge teaching moment and experience for me to realize why when I saw that horse with founder in England, I wasn't afraid. I knew what was possible. I knew what that horse needed. But I also there was a multi component, which was the benefit for that horse pain, but also getting him on his hind end so he can get well. I honestly had no idea that it could be used for that. I had no idea. Yeah, most people don't because they don't have the background. You know, it's all fluff when people talk about it. I'm the real bloody deal, Shannon. (laughs) Or Thousands of hours, thousands of hours, thousands (laughs) of horses, 20 continents, 20 years around the globe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm proud of that because it's it's something from nothing, you know? Yeah. Well, it's your path. And to see, yeah, thank you. And it's to see these horses get better because they can because... Um, just t- three weeks ago, a student came to me in my clinic and she's like, uh, Maureen, I have a horse that was here in Holland. And she said, I have a horse to show you uh, a picture of. It's at my place where she had her horse. You know, what did I think? She said, the owner is going to put the horse down. I said, what? So she shows me the photo. I said, how old is the horse? She's eight. I said, well, tell her I'll give her the amount of money. The butcher, you know, the slaughterhouse will give and I'll buy the horse. Because they threw the horse out. Come to find out the horse was only four, a little Palomino quarter horse. Nothing. It's just a normal, another horse just out of balance. The problem is because how the industry is, they can't see that how simple it is to treat. It just needs time. So, you know, it, it's most of these conditions, most of them are totally treatable. It, you just have to see it through a different lens. And cranial cycle is just the tool I use. And when you treat the head with the body, you see how significantly the head 
is responsible or affects a lot of the compensation in the body that's not understood in anywhere in the horse world. It's understood in my sphere because that's how I'm trained. So if you came to me and you're like, I have back pain, I'll be like, do you ever have a whiplash injury or did you ever have TMJ? You know, the back is just what you came in for. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you come to me with your horse, you're like, he's a head shaker. Okay, he's a head shaker now, but what else has been there? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of brought it to where it's at. I mean, that's me. That's not cranial. That's just how I am and how I've been trained. So, yeah, there's these horses. They It's all about them having better lives. And if you think about the horse industry, we have places for hooves. You know, you have a lot of books on hooves. You got everyone wants to do hooves. You have dentists. We look at the mouth. You have saddle fitters. Yeah. But who's looking at the head of the horse? <laughs> you are over there. <laughs> I mean, I have all my skulls. You know, here's here's little Jed here. Amongst oh, all the paper. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah, got a skull. Me out. Giving me a, a hands up. Do you name that all your little... skulls? <laughs> oh, my God. No, I'd be too confused. I thought about it. And then I end up calling most of them Jed the head. And then I'm like, no. You know. <laughs> I have probably here now maybe 30. Wow. In my collection. Yeah. I'm, Ten of those are wild horses to prove a few huh. points. That yeah. you found? Or where do you get them? No, that I was given for my project that I'm working on wow. about the teeth. So, yeah, that's an exciting Awesome. That's what we have to look forward to, to on your come. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. To show that half of the dentistry being done is really creating more problems for horses. The power to work. Oh, Huge. Wow. So wow. I'm leaving that little seed oh. sown. <laughs> and we'll, stay we'll tuned. Stay t- <laughs> we'll stay tuned with great yeah. anticipation. Because <laughs> I had, you know, it was time I had to collect the skulls to show. <laughs> so, yeah. Skulls with damage, easy to find. Skulls that are not damaged, not so easy to find. That's really quite ominous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking about that affecting the skull in and of itself. I think whether or not you're a body worker, that tells you everything that it's Mm -hmm. affecting the skull. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the proprioception and posture and biomechanics, how your horse chews, how it can chew or not. or Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. exciting. It's always um, something I just love, yeah. It's never ending, right? <laughs> no, because, the, you know, I, I mean, it's the most underlooked at the part of the horse, but it's the most pressure. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it's so amazing. Like, okay, we look at the back. We're like, is your saddle fitting? Okay, people look at the bridle, but they're not looking at the damage. Mm-hmm. You know, and they just saw oh, my horse is still eating. It's okay. He's going over his jumps. But it's like, yet the horse's eyes are like, you know, not level. And these are some things, basic 101, you look at to see, like, to explain, like, okay, if your horse's eyes aren't equal, that's a problem. That's severe cranial damage. Because if it was your head, you'd be like, it'd be pretty noticeable. We'd be like, Shannon, what the fuck happened to you? Like, yeah. you'd be like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if your head was tilted, we'd be like, Shannon, over here, you'd be like, I can't see you. Yeah. And we'd, we'd go, Shannon, ah, and you'd be like, because then you're spooky on that side so you know i mean it all makes sense it's just we got to start looking at the heads and you could see this it's almost frightening when you look at cat scans i look at cat scans and i'm like how can you not see this 
I mean, you can see it always physically. Like I could show you a skull out here of a two-year-old and I mean, you see it. I mean, you just got to start looking online and you'll be like, and maybe you already have, but if you ever have a training issue, Shannon, just look at the face. Yeah. There's one thing I could say to the people out there in this, who are going to listen to this, you know, behavioral issues, just look at the face of your horse. Just look. And also look how your horse is chewing. Listen, can you hear a grinding sound or not? Especially post-power tool work. If you do not hear a grinding sound, that's a flag. That means yeah. the tooth has changed too much. Oh, yeah, we can go on and on and on. And we have to do another podcast together. Yeah, we will. We will. It's a labor of love for sure. You know, there's never dull moments. <laughs> um, and it's just really getting people to think with a different mindset and realizing the lens we've seen horses through. It's actually not what we've seen. That makes sense. Yeah, I think about the the phrase I hear in bodywork circles, like wherever the pain is, there it isn't. Just yeah. because there's pain there does not mean that's the issue, mm -hmm. right? No, ninety. It's a symptom ninety percent of the time. Mm -hmm. It's the scream out. So then you got to follow the thread. Yeah, yeah. I have a mentor who's taught me equine acupressure, and really, mm -hmm. I spent like over a decade from age six on working with horses like almost every day. And until I met her in my 20s, I was working with horses in a completely different way. And now yeah. just with any kind of training issue, I look at like, can I draw the horse's eye? Is their eye even moving in the socket, right? Yeah. What does it look like when they're laterally bending? And all these little yeah. things are just so key to my horsemanship now or I wish that everyone was getting taught that at the beginning, right? And you don't have to be a body worker, but it just made no, me like... No, it's just basic like the school that was out there to be like, I mean, you know, it's not about picking out a hoof, right? right? And even you there know. are great ways to help a horse balance while you're holding their hoof totally. too, right? Yeah, exactly. But that's where, you know, maybe that's what you're going to create, that school. Maybe. <laughs> maybe the universe you know, that's is my whispering word of inspiration. that <laughs> Yeah, because you got to, I mean, it's fun because to me, the youth are the thing to focus on. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of times here in Holland years ago. So, I mean, I've been coming over here, I don't know, 13 or 14 years um, just to teach. So I'd be coming over to Europe to teach. And there was this young girl um, where I was teaching my workshops and her name was Anouk. And at six years of age, she came into my workshop. And she, until she was, you know, 14, every year I was there, she'd always come in and sit in the workshop. And she could name her cranial bones. And I have a video of this better than my adult students. Oh and they were advanced adult students. I'd be like, Anouk, can you name the bones? She'd be like, occipofrontal, sphenoid, nasal, parietal. <laughs> you know, and... It was always stood out to me, like, where's that next generation? Like, for this industry to really make a big shift for the next level for horses, yeah? Those kids and how they're educated is so important. Like, I even taught my equine assessment and DVD stuff. I made a children's manual because I was asked yeah. to be, would I do something at their pony, their summer camp thing? And I said, sure, it'd be fun. Mm. So... I did. I just taught him. And so, again, the same six-year-old who's now 18 and show mm -hmm. jumps and competes, she's like, Maureen, I still use that stuff. Wow. You know? So, yeah, I mean, that's what you hope for. That's what you want to see, mm -hmm. you know? Because if they start doing it then, it's not just let me brush my horse, throw the saddle on, drive him around like a car. 
it's their horse is getting, and they could do it pre to post the simple little things that I show in my DVD. It's basic one-on-one stuff. It's just mm-hmm. not Swedish massage. It's a whole other simple thing to do. Yeah, that's how you got to change it. So I love your idea about the kids, like you and your th- experience. Like, okay, so where can we do? Why don't we start there? Well, everyone listening, stay tuned <laughs> for something like that to be announced yeah. in the future. Yeah, because I think it's important. I think it, it's, yeah, it's it, it's it's got, yeah, it's like anything. It's got to be rethought, rethought, rethought through is what I'm trying to say. And then you bring it out there on whatever level, you know, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. So a couple questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. Um, First off, how do you define health? How do I define health? Health is a responsibility to me. It's, It's not just one thing. Like people think it's, oh, how I eat. So um, it's how you live. It's how you are. It's how you act. You know, it's how you take care of yourself. So, yeah, it's much bigger. It's, you know, who you surround yourself with. That's health just as much as anything else. How you're responsible with things or not. And then how do you define horsemanship? Uh, How do I define horsemanship? To me, my I would say it's about being. It's about listening. It's not it's not something about doing. And that's yeah, it's more along my cranial experience. You know, any horse, I it's a lot of it's listening. I have to earn their trust, and it's a big component of trust. So if somebody said, you know, Maureen, what do you, how do you do this? It's just like I have to earn every horse's trust. Number one, I won't be able to do what I do with any horse if I don't have that trust. They got to know that what my intention is. So, and it's a presence. It's not looking for this final like, oh, I want to. You know, it's like. It's be there and the rest of it will come. It's like what I love is watching people. Um, and most of it's practiced in the natural horsemanship way, but it's not only there. Like I had a friend, Bill Moss, an old cowboy from Montana. And, you know, Bill loved his horses and he was a natural horsemanship guy, but he wasn't. He was a cowboy from Montana because, you know, they just have that natural thing of understanding their horse and they're there for their horse and they wouldn't let their horse down. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, natural horsemanship is it's a mindset, but it's a lot of it's being and you got it's a space you're in. Oh, love that. So where can people find you? Not on a street corner. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> on a Friday. Who knows? <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, we're on social media. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, Equine Cranial Sacral Workshops. We have a page there. I have a Maureen Rogers page. Um, I have Instagram at equine cranial sacral and on our website, which is currently being redone. It's going to have a fresh face. Mm-hmm. I have the most iconic website still on the internet. Everybody <sighs> it was made in, it was made in, um, 1999 or 2000 and it's still the same one. And I'm, I hesitate <sighs> to take it down cause it's so epic, but we are rebuilding it. So it's at www.equinecranialsacral.com. Mm-hmm. And we're launching a new one called Equine Cranial Sacral TV. Coming out soon. <laughs> oh, lots of things coming up <laughs> to look forward yeah. to. <laughs> so that's where you can find me besides the corner on a Friday <laughs> or in a horse barn or in another foreign country. And in the Netherlands or for the now until you're, until you're traveling again. 
yeah, I, I'm here until uh, I teach here and this I go to the UK and then I may shoot back to the States for clients this summer. Great. Come to Sebastopol. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. Yeah, yeah. I love California. I've, I haven't. Been, it's so because it's it's my heart place mm-hmm. because of all things. It's just like every time I'm back there, you know, it's like I got to go back. So it's on the list. Awesome. Yeah, it's special here. It'd be a true pleasure to meet you in person. Yes. We'd be lucky to have you here too. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. So, thank you so much. Shannon, thank you so much. And thanks for all the great work you do in making this happen. Thank you. Right back at you like tenfold. I'm just oh, really you. appreciative. You've already like changed the way that I'm thinking just with lots of little nuggets of wisdom in this interview. So thank you. Thank you for listening to these stories on healing and horsemanship. If you're moved by this episode, please rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to help the show grow. This show is supported by The Herd. The Herd offers monthly bonuses for members, including access to a growing content library on all things health, wellness, and horses. Join today at wildwhaling.com herd membership. And until next time... I wish you harmony in your health and with horses.